annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? <laughs> well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb and then smart again. I'm Helen Hong, and now from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Helen. Oh, what a crowd. What a show we have for you in store. Helen, how are you? What's going on in your exciting little world? J. Keith, we have people in the audience tonight who drove in from San Diego. What? Our neighbor to the south? Yeah, but they, Think, drove, they drove in special. That's so wonderful. We, we, we find that very flattering, and we appreciate it very much. We love it when people drive in to see us. That's right. We had someone drive in from Arizona once that's before. That's right. I was Not that that them. makes them better than the San Diego people. <laughs> you know, I mean, good for you for living closer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you ever driven a long distance to, to go to a, a show? Uh, I guess not. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> have you ever gone to a show? Uh, All right, there we go. I once had someone drive me long, long distance. I was, oh boy, I'm, I can't believe I'm telling this story. When I was in junior high, I was a big fan of Gallagher. Wait, ga wait. Yeah. Wait, Gallagher, who used to explode watermelons on the stage? What's this used to business, Helen? <laughs> yes, Gallagher, who would take a sledgehammer and, and, and hit wait, watermelons. Wait, is Gallagher still around? Oh, yeah, Gallagher is definitely still around. Any sledgehammers, watermelons still to I, this day? I believe so. He also somehow is my Facebook friend, which I have not figured out yet, and I'm too scared to, to message him. But uh, nevertheless, when I was in junior high, I was a big fan of Gallagher. Also, you could say, not of girls. Um, and my friends and I figured out that he was playing, we were living in Chicago, and we figured out he was playing at some theater in Indiana, and boy, we would like to go see Gallagher live. So we somehow convinced one of our parents to drive us to Indiana, and then another one to drive to Indiana and take us home, no. because what parent would want to see a Gallagher show with their children? Wait, how long was that drive? Uh, it had to be at least an hour and a half or two. What? Yeah. Yeah, about, about San Diego or slightly less distance. So one parent drove you an hour and a half, dropped you off, went, yeah. bye, right. drove an hour and a half back, and, right. then, and then as soon as that person arrived, the yeah. next parent. Yes, it really was a Gallagher relay. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was an Olympic and, sport. And what did your seventh grade mind think of the show? It was fun. It was oh. funny. <laughs> Helen, you know how on TV he smashed the watermelon? Uh-huh. In, in real life in the theater, he smashed the watermelon, too. Oh. <laughs> it was pretty great. Yeah. Also, how big of a Gallagher fan I was, and again, you, you're aware of the kind of visual comedy he had. I had his album. <laughs> I had an no. audio recording, no. which I still have to this day on my bookshelf with my vinyl records, of a Gallagher's comedy record where you can hear him smash things. No, no, he actually tells jokes. He actually tells jokes on it. But I was so eager to get this, I had it specially ordered at the record store in my neighborhood. And I would say about every... 12 hours, I would call and see if it had gotten in yet. No! To the point where they would recognize my voice on the phone and say, it's not here yet. And when it finally got in, happiest day of my life. That is, like, adorably nerdy and obsessive of you. Thank you. Yeah. And now I host a podcast. It tracks. It tracks. It tracks. 
Helen, today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics, and finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Helen, who is up first? She is a comedy writer who's written for Rugrats, Teen Titans Go, and who created and starred in the IFC show Neurotica. It's Jenny Jaffe! Jenny Jaffe is here! Hi, Jenny! Welcome, Jenny. It's wonderful to uh, meet you. It's so nice to meet you, too. I have follow-up Gallagher questions. Oh, please. <laughs> now we're in one of my topics for this show. Did he smash other stuff for just watermelons? Did he ever? No, no, no. You don't start the Sledgematic segment with watermelons. You have to build up to it, okay? Okay, but was there, like, storytelling? And was it dramatic? <laughs> was it, like... Let me set the scene. The yeah. year, 1945. I just got back from the war. I don't know yeah. what war ended in 1945, but he just got back from the war. Yeah. I was feeling a lot of rage. This watermelon, he stepped to me. And boy, I did what I had to do. And he smashes the watermelon. I think you're giving that. Gallagher a lot of credit right now. <laughs> no, no, there obviously was a lot of backstory. And yes, you went through a whole emotional... No, he just started smashing crap. Oh. No, he would do a bit as if it were a product, it was an invention, and he was doing sort of the sales pitch for it and then build up to the watermelon. The Sledge-O-Matic. The Sledge-O-Matic, yeah. This is crazy. For only $19.99, you can buy this yeah, exactly. Helen it, gets it. It kills this thing and also this thing and also a watermelon. It really feels like the album version of that, you're not getting the one interesting part. <laughs> Look, you know what? Back then, we didn't have like a YouTube we could go to and just click and immediately get the instant satisfaction of watching watermelons being smashed. Mm. We had to take what we could get. That's fair. It was a I dark understand. time. Jenny, is it true that your mother is in the audience? It's true that both my parents are in the oh, audience. Yay! That's adorable. Jenny, did they... By chance, drive here from San Diego? Well, so they did, but I will clarify. It was, we were all in San Diego, and we drove, we all drove up this morning, uh, and the show falling on this did happen to be a part of that. Uh, but so there's multiple people. But I'm who thinking drove it here. means there are multiple groups of people ah! who drove here from San Diego. We could have had a San Diego tour bus come to which us, which is very exciting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so those podcast tour buses that are sweeping the nation. Um, no, that's awesome. Well, welcome, parents, and thank you for being here. Have your parents seen you on stage before? Yeah, they've been on this, like, interesting journey of seeing me from, like, truly some of the most heinous venues you've ever been in in yeah. New York. When I, like, first got there, and I was like, I'm going to make it as a sketch comic. And then, like, over the years, as, like, my life has gotten slightly more respectable, and, you know, until we find ourselves here at the illustrious Angel City Brewery <laughs> in downtown the, Los the, Angeles. The, the pinnacle. No, this is awesome. It this is pretty is, awesome. And I, we're, and we're, yeah, it's, we're super happy to have you. Um, Helen mentioned, of course, that you've written for Rugrats. I should point out, this was a Rugrats reboot. Yes. Uh, now, did that mean something to you? Were you, were you oh old my enough God, to yes. be a I, fan of the original? I am the exact same age as Rugrats. I what? Really? Yes. This was the hugest deal to me. <laughs> Honestly, if you had asked me like two years ago, what are the topics you're an expert in, mm -hmm. I might have said... Rugrats, or at least 90s Nickelodeon, because, mm -hmm. like, this is what I grew up on. And it was crazy when I got into the room for the first time and started pitching different ideas. Somebody would say, hey, what was the name of that one episode where, and it was, like, where I was supposed to learn, like, math at some point. I just know <laughs> Rugrats facts. Wow. Um, because, like, I was a, it grew up with me, and, like, in my little child sponge brain, everything from, like, early 90s Nickelodeon is just etched in there. So it was really surreal to be, like, writing an episode and just be like, oh, my God, that's Tommy. That's, like, a celebrity to yeah. me. Oh were, were, there, were there Rugrats episodes that you had created when you were originally watching them as a kid and that you got to actually I remember make? having drawn Rugrats 
Rugrats, definitely. Uh-huh. And when I went home, I found our copies of the Rugrats Passover books that we had when we were kids. <laughs> There's a Rugrats Haggadah? Yeah. Well, Rugrats was the only show that had a Passover special. <laughs> That's so cool that you got to be, like, part of your childhood. Yeah. Like, yeah. just something that you were, it was so, such a part of, like, who you became as a person. Absolutely. And you're like, oh, my God, and now I get to create it for the next generation. It's real. That's like really awesome. I think one of the coolest things about moving along in your career as a creator is you start to work with the people that used to be your heroes and get to be part of like franchises and properties that you really care about. And if you're somebody who's nerdy about things, it's just an exercise in like not letting that show and like waiting like two years in to be like, I had your picture on my wall. (laughs) Star Trek Picard. Helen's coming for you. I'm waiting. <laughs> uh, Jenny, one of the people that you've gotten to work with is a former guest that we've had on this show, Elliot Kalin. Yes. In the Max Fun family. Tell us about the project you guys are doing together. So Elliot and I met in part because we were fans of each other on podcasts. Aww. But we are we are the co-creators of an animated show called Saloon that was bought by Fox and announced a couple weeks ago. So we can talk about it now. Very exciting. Uh, Congratulations. So we're really excited, and it combines a lot of the things that Elliot and I are collectively very geeky about, like animation and westerns, and it's just been awesome. I, he's the best to work with. Yay! Now, That's uh, this very is, cool. Yes. Now, this is not one of the topics that you ended up choosing for tonight, but I was curious. In your Twitter bio, it says, I write for TV, but when I grow up, I want to be Quint from Jaws. I do want to be Quint from Jaws when <laughs> I grow up. How do you mean that? I think that's the greatest role in, like, film history. But I saw that you used it as one of your examples of something somebody had already done. And I was like, probably, like, Jaws. Like, because Jaws might be the movie I've watched the most. I've watched Uh, Jaws so many times. We have done Jaws on this show. We have done Jaws 2 on this show. You could have chosen Jaws 3D. Oh, man. (laughs) But then it would mean that we would all have had to watch Jaws 3D. (laughs) The first time I met Elliot in person, I don't even know if we met, but I went to the Flophouse live show of Jaws 4. (gasps) So Robert Shaw was not in. It. But <laughs> the character's so funny. I love a salty sea captain. I I just thought it would be really funny if I started using that back when I was auditioning for stuff more as my audition monologue, like doing the USS Indianapolis. It's the monologue. best monologue. It's the greatest monologue. I think it shows off my type really well. And <laughs> now, would you do it with the accent, the the, the brogue, the thing? You kind of have to <laughs> think about a shark size. The shark's got. Black eye, <laughs> like a doll's eyes. <laughs> Shark ain't living till it bites ya. <laughs> then those eyes roll back white and you hear the scream. <laughs> but see, we're not I, stopping you, by the thank way. Thank you, Jenny Jaffe, ladies and gentlemen. Um, see, also, I love to eat saltines. <laughs> it all went out. Uh, so, well, <laughs> I think you should do the monologue in like the clueless accent. In my natural, my natural born and raised I California be like, like You know, like a little bit, put a little Valley Girl spin on we it. We like. just delivered the bomb, the <laughs> Hiroshima bomb. <laughs> you have that and more to look forward to with Miss Jenny Jaffe. Thanks for being here, Jenny. Helen, against whom will Jenny be competing tonight? He is an Academy Award-winning screenwriter and actor who played Dean Pelton on Community. Whoa. It's Jim Rash! Jim Rash! Ah, there we go. Hello. Hi. Welcome, Jim. Hello, welcome, Jim. Thanks for having me. I was saying to Jim backstage, I was like, where have we met? Because you look so familiar. But now that you've bounded on stage, I'm like, it's probably because I just saw, like, lots of, like, you on TV. It was an awkward moment. We just (laughs) stared at each other, and neither of us had an answer, so we just walked away from each other. Yeah. 
I'm glad there's me and Jenny in between you now because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's fraught. No. We, uh, we look familiar too. Yeah, you look familiar as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every, you know what? When you're here, you're family. In that I'm going to trademark that. <laughs> uh, Jim, you won an Academy Award. Yes. Like the real one. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, it was for adapting the screenplay, of course, for The Descendants. The Descendants. How, how did you and your partner, Nat Faxon, get to adapt that screenplay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How did we? Well, no, because um, I, no, I know you as, as, as a comedy performer. You've been in the Groundlings for a long time. I know you as a, as a brilliant writer, but I wouldn't have thought your big project was going to be adapting a novel that yeah. somebody else had written. No one did. Um, <laughs> Nat and I had written a screenplay at the time called The Way Way Back, which we uh, would make years later, but it was on the blacklist, and it wasn't getting made at the time, and so we just sort of took some meetings, and one was for The Descendants. They were looking for someone to adapt it, and we went in and sort of pitched our take on it. Luckily, got hired off of that. Obviously, you know, came through the groundlings, and training was in sort of character development and writing for characters, so in a weird way, it all sort of segued into talking about a woman in a coma and a man grappling with his daughters he doesn't connect to. So it makes sense. <laughs> it, all, it all worked out. Uh, what was your Oscars experience like? I, I, th- I think this is everyone's answer, but it's surreal. I mean, because... Techni- I mean, you sort of know when your category is coming up because it's a big book. You're sort of not prepped for it, and it happens a lot faster than you think. And then you have this sort of out-of-body experience when you are, your name is called. There were three of us, you know, because Alexander Payne shared credit with us. We knew he was going to sort of take lead and chat, so all we had to do was stand there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Well, you stood there in a very interesting yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I sort of got, uh, I was like, wait, we may never be back up here. And Angelina Jolie at that time had that great dress. And I thought, oh, well, I'll use my leg in a similar fashion. And um, at first it was like titters, like people weren't getting it. So then I just started to double down and really arch my leg out. Yeah, that was it. I had no idea it would be what it was. I just thought this is a great way to celebrate this. <laughs> Did you, were you making eye contact with Angelina no, at the time? No, not at all. No. Did you run into her at the after party or anything No, like that? I didn't. Actually, on the way off the stage, though, Brad was there on the other side. He just goes, good job, guys. And that was it. <laughs> and that was my Brad Pitt impersonation. <laughs> very, very good. We were talking with Jenny, of course, about animation. You do a bunch of voices in animation. Uh, yes. People might recognize your voice because you do a voice on DuckTales. Uh, yes, Gyro. Yes, I do gyro. one on Gyro. Yeah, and now that's a reboot as well. Yes. Was it meaningful to you in the same way that Rugrats was meaningful to Jenny? Yeah, remember, cartoons for me were always a connection, so any car- any animation to me has a connection, whether I watched it. I was a kid of television, so everything was... Do you was do a ducky voice? What do I, what? Do you do a, like a ducky voice? No, it's pretty much what you're listening to right now, <laughs> but maybe shouting more and a little bit more angry. Do you do a decent Robert Shaw, though? I wish if I had the words, I would love to do an, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, this, this shock. <laughs> Thank you. Very good, very good. And have you and Jenny crossed paths in the animation world previously? Oh, no, but we were before. Backstage. Backstage, we had a weird moment because I went in for one of the voices for Rugrats and did not get it. And so there was a lot of tension. It, and a was, lot of... it was, we held it together. It was wow. very awkward. awkward. Wow. Yikes. So apparently there's one person on this stage that you have not had any tension with, and somehow it's me. Yeah, well, yeah. the show is young. We'll no, see what happens. It's very nice to meet you. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful to have you, Mr. Thank Jim you. Rash. Thank you. All right, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel some expertise. Jenny, you said you know a lot about 90s Disney movies. Yes. Anxiety disorders and phobias. <laughs> yes. And pandas. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yes. Um. <laughs> one, one might cure the other. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Whereas, Jim, you said you know a lot about Sid and Marty Croft shows, mm-hmm. the movie Clue. Yes. And giving advice to others that you don't take. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Also, one might cure the other. Yep. Later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, it puts the lotion in the basket. First up in, it puts the lotion in a basket. Jenny. I feel so ready for this because I love Ted Levine. <laughs> Let's okay. go. Jenny, they both are things to keep your skin soft, but what is the difference between a lotion and an ointment? A lotion and an ointment. I'm going to say an ointment is medicated and the word is disgusting, whereas lotion is more of just like a nice smelling thing mm-hmm. and the word is pleasing to the ear. <laughs> When you say it, it sure is. <laughs> Thank you. All right, we have Jenny's answer. We don't know yet if she is correct. Jim, what do you think? Well, it's hard because that feels like a very good answer. I don't know if I could disagree with it. I feel like there's a medicinal quality to an ointment. Mm-hmm. It is meant to heal, but then a lotion also heals dry skin. So, mm-hmm. But I would say <laughs> one heals and one just gets moisture into you. And one gets moisture into you. What a lovely, final lovely image. Final answer. All right, final <laughs> Final answer. All right, well, this segment is drying out. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. Both lotions and ointments can be used as moisturizers and are found on a moisturizing spectrum that ranges from pure water to petroleum jelly. A lotion is more toward the water end of the spectrum. It's mostly water with some emulsified oils. Water is a breeding ground for bacteria, so lotion also usually contains preservatives, which don't smell very good, so it also usually contains perfumes to mask the preservative smell. This is horrifying. Since it's mostly water, it's very liquid. An ointment contains far less water, and therefore it does not need as many preservatives or perfumes. Because there's less water, ointment has a thicker consistency and a higher viscosity. That's right. Now, either lotions or ointments can be medicated. Now, lotions are used mostly on the body and ointments mostly on the face, but it's probably easier to sell expensive face products by calling them lotions instead of ointments because, as Jenny mentioned, ointments is not a very pleasant-sounding word, especially when I say it like this, ointments. Helen, what does that mean as far as our score is concerned? I'm going to give Jenny a half a point because you did say nice smelling thing. A half a point for Jenny. it is usually perfumed. All right, up next in, it puts the lotion in the basket. Jim, Mm -hmm. Jim, they are both common elements of a basket, but what is the difference between rattan and wicker? Rattan and wicker. Rattan and wicker. Wicker is usually used in furniture. Uh-huh. It's sturdier than rattan, uh-huh. I'm, I'm guessing. Rattan <laughs> is more of a rope-type product, and wicker is normally a synthetic type of product. Final answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know if there was a preliminary one, but yeah, all right, that is the final answer. All right, we don't know yet if he is correct. Uh, Jenny, what do you think? I think that they are very similar, but wicker comes from a wicker district in Indonesia. <laughs> a wicker district? Yes. Okay. And rattan comes from a different district. Would that so be the rattan district? It is the rattan oh, okay. district. <laughs> and they're very similar. It is a little more expensive for rattan just because it is less of a commonly found floral thing. Okay. <laughs> My answer is they're from <laughs> different districts. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, this we're opening a store, by the way. <laughs> yes. In the, now, will it be in the Rattan District or in the mm-hmm. Wicker District? Uh, probably the Wicker District. Yeah. It's uh, they, easier to get zoning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes there's some overlap in the the, the Ratisker District. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There is. Yes. It's, a, it's like a hotly contested Jets versus Sharks sort really, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're a Wicker, when you're a Wicker, you're a Wicker all the way. Yeah. All right. Well, this segment is making me a basket case. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. Rattan is a plant. It grows like a vine and is a member of the palm family. Rattan's outer bark is used for caning, while its inner reed-like section is used to weave wicker furniture and baskets. Wicker is not a plant. In fact, it's not a material at all. Wicker is a weaving technique that takes materials like willow or bamboo or rattan and places them in complex, intricate patterns. That's right. A wicker basket is, in fact, not made of wicker. It's made in the technique of wicker. And The Wicker Man is a Nicolas Cage movie that has 15% on Rotten Tomatoes, (laughs) which seems high. (laughs) Helen, what does that mean as far as our points go? I'm going to say zero points for both of you on that one. Well, I'm sorry. But we did learn something. No, uh, what no. is our score at the end of that first round? At the end of that round, Jenny Jaffe has half a point and Jim Rash has zero points. Right. But those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. Let's all up ahead and we come back on Go Fact Yourself. <laughs> And now, a word from our sponsor. Say, audience of Go Fact Yourself, do you like going to live recordings of audio shows? And then listening to those recordings at a later date? Nice. Well, then you will love fake radio. Since 2001, fake radio has been reenacting actual radio broadcasts from the 1940s and 50s, along with all of the original and often uncomfortable commercials. Yeah, but they also add a healthy dose of improvisation to help keep their live audiences on their toes. Even better, each episode of fake radio features a special guest star. Previous guests have included John Larroquette. Ray Romano. George Went. Kevin McDonald, Dave Foley, and Mark McKinney from Kids in the Hall. And some fake radio guests are even people you've heard on Go Fact Yourself, including Fred Willard. Lorraine Newman. Mindy Sterling. Phil Lamar. J. Keith Van Stratton. What? That's right. J. Keith Van Stratton, you have been on fake radio. I have, and I loved it. And I was great. And I loved it. Fake Radio performs in Los Angeles and Portland, Oregon, with more cities to come in the near future. To listen to past episodes of the hysterical show and to sign up for their mailing list so you can see the show live, go to fakeradio.net slash gofactyourself. That's fakeradio.net slash gofactyourself. Fake Radio. Old-time radio. Just funnier. Thank Thank you, you, Fake Radio. Hi, I'm the JV Club Podcast, Janet Varney, and I used to suffer from indecision. I couldn't choose between Star Wars and Star Trek, whether to call or text, or the best way to cook my eggs. But now, thanks to my weekly dose of We Got This on Maximum Fun, my decisions are made for me. Thanks, Mark and Hal! Warning, We Got This may cause shouting, phone throwing, the illusion that the hosts can hear you, laughter on public transit, and death. We Got This with Mark and Hal. We know what's best. yourself where our score is Jenny Jaffe with half a point and Jim Rash with zero points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. 
Jenny Jaffe, very nice of you to console uh, Jim Rash. Thank you. Well, we're, you know, we're all in this well, together. No, you do have a commanding lead, obviously. It's just an emotional yeah. ride. Or no, living. we're all in this together. We appreciate the, the spirit of good sportsmanship. Thank you. Jenny, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about 90s Disney movies, anxiety disorders and phobias, and pandas. I do. So let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about 90s Disney movies. Yes. Well, the same way that I grew up on 90s Nickelodeon, I grew up on 90s Disney movies, but I hadn't recently rebooted any, so I felt like I could put it as one of my topics. <laughs> What's your absolute favorite? Little Mermaid. Duh. Oh, of course. <laughs> I was such a good age for all the, like, Disney princess movies as they were coming out. It's like, mm -hmm. uh, that's my favorite thing. It's just Wait, was yeah. your favorite Little Mermaid because it's Avi the best one or because you're also a redhead? It is both. <laughs> Good <laughs> observation, Helen. I was also very nearly named Ariel and it was, I was born the same year the Little Mermaid came out so it wasn't like because of it. Mm -hmm. It was just like a really good thing. I narrowly missed it because <laughs> I, it just, I feel like it would have been. You probably had several classmates who were named Ariel. I'm sure I did, but also just like the redhead named mm -hmm. Aerial thing, like. Did you ever dress as her for Halloween? I think like five years in a row. <laughs> and I was considering doing it this year too. Oh, all right. Well, Do you have clamshell bra? It got more difficult over time. <laughs> um, they're conches now. Jenny, <laughs> <laughs> um, it happens to us all. So, yeah, but also, fantastic movie. An really underrated ride, I think. It's legit great. Yeah. It is legit great. All right, you also said you know a lot about anxiety disorders and phobias. Yeah, I somewhat regret putting that on there because it's really more like I know about having them. And <laughs> than about curing I'm them? I'm very good at living with them. Okay, I'm well, that's, a, that's that. no small feat. In addition to, like, my own personal relationship to anxiety disorders, I also started a teen mental health nonprofit called mm -hmm. Project You Are Okay, wow. and it is... Oh, wow, thank you. And it's more or less a platform for teens and young adults to connect to resources for them, but also to try and help open the conversation through videos with like other comedians. And we just did a whole variety of content. And the idea was as much as we can have a ton of people out there talking about their firsthand experience, yeah. dealing with a wide variety of mental health diagnoses, the more people we think we can help connect to treatment and hopefully mm -hmm. open up the conversation to a level where mental health treatment is just a right. If you want to check it out, go to projectyouareok.org. Very, it, very nice. Is it Y-O-U spelled out? No, it's uh, the letters U R O K. Ah. Yeah. yeah. For the kids, the texting and the kids. Yeah, yeah, you know how the kids are. Yeah. Is If you're comfortable, is there a phobia of yours that you can mention that you oh, have? Oh, boy. Where do we start? <laughs> okay. um, is, is it being asked trivia questions? Honestly, this is maybe the only place I'm comfortable. Ah. I did take an Ativan about an hour prior to the show. <laughs> so my being awake is huge right now. Yes. Uh, one weird one is I'm really tripophobic. I hate little tiny holes. Oh. Oh, what do, do you, you think know about that the is? new iPhone? I honestly I hate the billboard on Sunset with like all the cameras. It looks creepy to me. Ah. All right, and then finally you said you know a lot about pandas. Yes. <laughs> I love pandas. I think they're the best species that's been trying to die out, but they're just too cute for us to let them. <laughs> it's one of those things, pandas are my thing, and I think everybody probably has this thing where it was their childhood interest that has followed them into adulthood. So whenever a relative or anybody is like what do I get for this person? Like, okay, great, I've got a go-to thing. And it's great, I love it. I have so many pandas. I don't think I've bought myself a panda thing in years because it's just like the thing that I've collected. You're easy to shop for. Uh, yeah, exactly. All right, so to summarize, Jenny, you said you know a lot about 90s Disney movies, <laughs> anxiety disorders and phobias, and pandas. Yeah. Today we want to quiz you about pandas. Oh, good. <laughs> have, you, uh, have you gotten a chance to see a panda up close? 
Yes, I have. For my 10th birthday, we went to the San Diego Zoo, and I got to see a panda, and I got to be interviewed on the news about <gasps> pandas. And my quote was, I love pandas. I think they're so cute. Still true. <laughs> yeah. All right. Why, why were they, why was, there was just, a, happened to be a news? It was when the San Diego Zoo first got pandas. Ah, okay, great. Right. And I noticed on your website, uh, you were depicted with uh, pandas of different kinds. So this is still something that is very present Wearing for you multiple pandas. Yeah, those are old pictures, but I like them so much that it just, I've just stayed with, <laughs> stayed That's good. with it. Yeah. That's awesome. I All mostly right. wear black and white. Oh, so. yeah, you're kind of dressed like a panda yeah. a little bit. Yeah, a very trendy panda. Thank you. An uh, aerial panda. An air. Oh my God, what? It's all coming together. It's <laughs> all happening. happening. This me. is your life. Just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide uh, expert in pandas to test your mastery in the subject with an expert level question worth oh up to boy. three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions, I'm each worth one point. If nervous. you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Jim, do listen closely because if Jenny gets any wrong, you can steal. By the way, how much do you know about pandas? Oh, so much. <laughs> all right, well, hopefully. It's like my spirit animal. Oh, so. <laughs> Well, hopefully Jenny will give you a chance to uh, jump in. Here we go. Question number one for Jenny about pandas. What counts for 99% of a panda's diet? Bamboo. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. You're off to a roaring start. Okay, I got this. I got this, guys. Uh, fun fact, despite its similar appearance, bamboo is not closely related to rattan. Oh. oh. Everything comes together. <laughs> it all happens. Question when we say fun fact, it's a very loose term that we're <laughs> using. I mean, the fact part is fun. tight. The fact is tight. Fun <laughs> is in the eye of the beholder, but we, we agree on our facts. Question number two. Giant pandas are known for their black and white fur, of course, but what color are they when they are born? Pink. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Pink and adorable. Uh, fun fact, there, there actually is a light coat of white fur, but they are mostly pink and very, very, very cute. Question number I did not know that, and I love them even more now. Yes, we're just going to look at videos. They are gross for, like, a day. They look like little <laughs> worms. And then, like, three days later, they look like a little pink, like, panda. And it's mm. the greatest. It's yeah. the best. I want that to be my autobiography. Gross for one day. <laughs> <laughs> Just, All right, you're he's two fine two. after one day, but gross for that yeah, part of it. I'd love to be only gross for one day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're two for two, Jenny. Here's question number three. A panda's paw has six digits, five fingers, and an opposable pseudo-thumb, which is actually an enlarged bone of what other body part? Toe? Well, you do have a hint available if you'd like Wait, to use the hint, but it's up on. to you. Or so you can think it out. panda has on his paw. On his paw. Or her paw. On her, or her paw. Yes. Or the, their paw. The where, five... Yes. Paw things. There, there are six <laughs> digits. Called? There are six digits, six digits total. Five of them are actual fingers. One of them. It's like what dogs have. Is sort of. It's sort a pseudo of. thumb. It's used. It's opposable. It's like a thumb, but it's not actually a finger. What bone actually is it? Oh, is it your arm bone? Helen, is it the arm bone? It is not. No, the arm I'm bone. terribly sorry. Jim, with a chance to steal. I don't get her hint. You do not get her hint. <laughs> can I get although, my hint although in for a way, Jim? She, sorry? Can I get my hint for Jim? You cannot get your hint. Oh. No, we have to check the rules for that. Can she get her hint uh, we've for We've never Jim? been asked this. We've never been asked that. Mm. I mean, if you want to sacrifice I, a hint. I think it would be I think it would be nice. What's he ever won? An Oscar? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll give her one of mine if that comes up. All right. Uh, Helen, wow. in the first time in the history of the show, for Jim, what is Jenny's hint? It's where people get carpal tunnel syndrome. Oh, so I guess wrist? Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Yay. Oh, and they're hugging. Thank you. Oh, you my God. You have to. I thought this pandas is... were cute, but this is cute. Well, this is know. what cute is. That's well, very, very gracious of you, so Jenny. so sweet. And very the, sweet. In the spirit of cooperation? Yeah. 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 
I'm going to keep my hints, though. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. You got to right. be ruthless, guys. All right, let's see if you can bounce back with question number okay. four. How many times a year does a female panda ovulate? I mean, it feels like zero, because this is panda's whole thing. It's just that <laughs> none of them are making babies. Mm-hmm. You do have that other hint available I if you'd like to use it. I do have another hint. Okay, I like my other hint. Helen, please. how about that second hint? It's one more than the male does. Do males ovulate? <laughs> it's one more time than the male it's, does. No? Is like constantly? I don't understand the question. How many times how many times a year do you think a male ovulates or produces? Oh, an so egg? is it one? Helen, is it one? It is it one! Is one. <laughs> pandas but they are so poorly designed they i don't know what the next question is but pandas don't digest most of what they eat Mm -hmm. uh, which means they have to just spend most of the day sleeping and eating a ton of bamboo and it's not just bamboo it's bamboo from one mountain in china and then they ovulate once a year and then none of them want to hook up with each other because they all look identical so it's like (laughs) i they're trying to die and i'm glad we haven't let them but i just We need to take the hint at some point. Yeah. Well, speaking of taking the hint, very nice use of that hint eventually. Question number five. Now, this is tricky, and you have no more hints available, but here you go. Okay. In 1972, President Nixon's trip to China led to some panda diplomacy, where the National Zoo got two giant pandas, the first to ever live in a permanent exhibit in the United States. Name one of them. I'm worried about this answer. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we want to be culturally sensitive, right, of course. That's exactly yes, why. Yes, yes. So I'm gonna go with Harrison. Helen. <laughs> I have a feeling you're gonna get a point. <laughs> and the other one's Bonnie. Uh, Helen, is it Harrison? <laughs> nope. Jim with a chance to steal. <laughs> I well. well. I guessed Bonnie, but that's not it. Um, uh, so it's just one of the names? One of the two names. Although if you want to give us both, we'll take it. Uh, the only thing is in my head is Ling Ling or is something. That, is that your answer? Yes. Helen, is it Ling Ling? That is correct. That is correct. Oh. Another successful steal. That was, that was the answer in my head, but I truly just didn't want that to be what I would have guessed. And then have it be wrong? <laughs> I guess, yeah. yeah. Uh, fun fact, the U.S. gave China a pair of musk oxen in return. That does not seem commensurate. Not a fair trade. Uh, Ling Ling, the other one was Sing Sing, H-S-I-N-G, Ling Ling oh, and Sing Sing. It not it lovely? That's so cute. It is Why cute. did I think they opened the box and one of them was dead? I thought that was a... Ama- that, that, is it that because was, of anxiety was, disorders and focus? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> well, it's a very small space to be shipping a panda. In. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a lot. Wait, they came in a box? That yeah. sounds horrible. They came in a panda crate. What? With I probably tiny holes in it, so you would have been freaked out. Yeah. I would have been t- <laughs> <laughs> So you, you wouldn't right. even, you love pandas, but you would not look at that box. Yeah. Oh, gosh, it's what a weird catch 22. It's like the Schrodinger's Jenny. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you just still did pretty well in that round, but here now is your expert level oh, question boy. that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. 
We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. In April of this year, the previously mentioned San Diego Zoo permanently closed its panda habitat and sent its remaining pandas back to China. This leaves three zoos in the United States where you can see an exhibit of live pandas. For up to three points, name the three cities where you'd find these zoos. So I know one is in D.C. Okay. I'm going to guess that they're kind of spread out. Okay. So, like, you know, because you don't want one region to have too many pandas. Yeah, no, you can't have panda saturation. And it's not New York. That feels like it would be a mistake. Maybe in L.A. Okay. Let's go with somewhere esoteric. Maybe, like, the Zoo of the Dakotas or something. The esoteric and famous (laughs) Zoo of the Dakotas. All right. Helen is making note of Jenny's answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is a professor of veterinary medicine at Western University who is a reproductive consultant for giant pandas at zoos around the world. It's Dr. David Kersey. Dr. David Kersey. Hi. Hello, Dr. Kersey. Shaking Jenny's hand, shaking Jim's hand. Have a seat right there, sir. I have so many questions about your job. <laughs> yeah, as do, as do we. Hello, Dr. Kersey. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no uh, problem. Uh, now, we, Jenny was mentioning how difficult it is to get pandas to reproduce. About how many pandas, or do you know the exact number, how many pandas are living right now in the world? In the world, if you include wild and captive, yeah. probably close to 3,000. 3,000, okay. That's triple what it was, like... A decade ago, so that uh, seems great. Yeah, well, about a decade ago, we were about 1,500 in the wild as an estimate, and now with the wild, I mean, with the captive population, we're close to 700. Oh, that's, that's awesome. What about pandas made you want to study them? Uh, it was a real fascinating subject. Uh, I wanted to study reproduction, and reproduction hadn't been fully um, investigated in giant panda, and we needed to develop a breeding protocol, so that's why I got involved. So your entire job is to get pandas to do it. Well, that was my, my PhD research. Now, now my, my real job is teaching uh, veterinary students on reproduction. Was your dissertation called Pandas Doing It? <laughs> yeah, that would have gone over really swimmingly. <laughs> no. It was real professional. No, no. It was uh, reproduction and adrenal endocrinology in the giant panda. Yeah. So your specialty is endocrinology. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that means as far so as... So endocrinology is the study of the hormones that regulate uh, the body, and particularly with reproduction, there's a lot of hormones that regulate all the reproductive elements, and from there, we helped understand giant panda biology and particularly the breeding. Now, don't take this question the wrong way, but how many pandas have you gotten pregnant? By my own hands, where I was involved, probably 11, I think. Um, wow. By the protocols that I helped develop, probably north of 100. So protocol-wise, walk me through this. What's the like lighting? What's the soundtrack? <laughs> yeah. What's the vibe in the room? Yeah. Like, you put on some Barry White, what do you do? Yeah. Uh, put Barry White in black. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it so difficult for pandas to reproduce? It, well, I mean, technically, they don't have difficulty reproducing in the wild. We just they, want they, more. They, yeah, they <laughs> existed for about 20 million years in the wild. So mm-hmm. to me, giant pandas know how to reproduce when we bring them into captivity. That's it's our problem, That's not our theirs. That's our problem. Interesting. Yeah. Now, uh, of course, pandas are native to China, and uh, you've also been an advisor to the famous Chengdu Research Base uh, in China. That is my yes. dream place to visit. Sincerely, whenever people are like, you get a dream trip, where are you going? I'm going to go hold a panda like Shaq did. Okay, go ahead. Uh, definitely Panda Mecca. 
Yeah. I have a question. Are yeah. pandas really soft? It, de it depends Finally on the age. Finally, a hard-hitting question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the age. If they're like six months and younger, uh -huh. they, they are pretty fluffy and soft. And then as they start to get a little bit older, their fur starts to get a lot rougher. And definitely after they've hit maturity, then their fur is pretty rough. Mm -hmm. Do you, you deal with them when they're gross for one day? <laughs> Thank you, uh, Jim. No, I don't. No, no one does. Marty, get in there. They're gross. <laughs> <sighs> I just want to touch them when they're fluffy. Get out of here, Marty. Uh, all right, uh, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Jenny. We wanted to know which three zoos in the United States are the only ones where you can see an exhibit of live pandas. Helen, what was Jenny's first answer? Jenny said Washington, D.C. That's correct. That is correct. It's yeah. the Smithsonian, Smithsonian National, National Zoological Park. Yep. Uh, Helen, what was the next answer that Jenny gave? Jenny said L.A. Dr. Kersey? No. 1984, maybe, but no. Not, not currently, Are no. we playing by 1984 rules, by no. any chance? <laughs> Were you alive in 1984? No. Okay, then probably not. And finally, what was the last answer that Jenny gave? Jenny said, the zoo of the Dakotas. <laughs> uh, I have no idea what that is. No, it's, so the, the three zoos are, are Smithsonian National Zoo, Memphis Zoo, and Zoo Atlanta. And uh, you've worked with two of those three. Yeah, so I, I did my dissertation work at the Smithsonian, and then I also did a lot of research at Zoo Atlanta and done a lot of their breedings as well. And are, uh, so are there pandas that people can see in North America that you are partially responsible for being born? Gee, I don't know. Just say yes, it'll sound impressive. Yeah. All right, sure. I can't believe I got the doctor to do that. I mean, most of them have already been shipped off to oh, China. Oh, okay, so they're, I see. Yeah. So in China, though, you can definitely see oh, the, yeah, totally. the fruit of your yeah, labors, yeah, 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 as it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have yeah. you gotten to name any of them? No, 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 that's all political and done mm. at the higher level. Because Harrison's <laughs> well, up for grabs. Huh? Harrison, Harrison is up for grabs. Oh, yeah, I yeah. totally forgot about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dr. Yeah, Kersey, if people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they go? Google Scholar and type in my name and research. Oh, oh, we just published a chapter in a book on giant panda breeding. It's really exciting. Uh, the, it's a sciencey thing. It's a sciencey thing. But if yeah. you want to know more, you can look up Dr. David Kersey. We're so happy that you joined us, Dr. David Kersey, ladies Thank and gentlemen. You. Thank you. Helen, let's get a score recap at the end of that round. At the end of that round, Jenny Jaffe has four and a half points, and Jim Rash has two points with a round of questions coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Jim about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Jenny and Jim will go head-to-head -head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And together we present Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. We explain the historical significance of everyday etiquette topics, then answer your questions relating to modern life. So join us weekly on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. No RSVP required. Check out Schmanners. Schmanners, Schmanners. Get it? Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Jenny Jaffe with four and a half points and Jim Rash with two points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. Jim, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about Sid and Marty Croft shows, the movie Clue, and giving advice to others that you don't take. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, Sid and Marty Croft shows. Oh, uh, I, well, I, cartoons in general. I was a kid who watched Saturday morning cartoons from early dawn till when they ended around noon and did not go outside until then. Uh, I actually would sit in a, this is a great window into my, my, my soul uh, or mind, I would sit in a cardboard box 
uh, in front of the TV with filled with toys so I could play with my toys and I cut a hole in the box so I could see the TV through the hole. So something was happening to which, that which child. For is like, an epi- <laughs> for is like, a, like a Saw movie, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was becoming something. So for those um, who aren't familiar, tell us, tell us some of the Sidney Marty Croft shows and the ones that you enjoyed. Well, I mean, I like they, they had a show, well, they have obviously the ones that are like H&R Puff and stuff and Land of the Lost and Bugaloos and Wonderbug. They had obscure ones that were on a the Croft Superstars, I think they called it, which had like Dr. Shrink and Electra Woman and Dyna Girl. Oh, okay. yeah. that was the first reaction. <laughs> like all the other ones were like, I'm going to wait till Electra Woman and Dyna Girl is mentioned. <laughs> and what about these shows appealed to you, you think? I, 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 I was just mesmerized by them. I, I, maybe, I don't know if it's puppetry. I don't know if it's the fact that it felt drug-induced. I have no idea what it was. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, you see them now, and, and I don't, couldn't tell you why, but it was fascinating then. And most of them probably only did, like, I don't know, 23 episodes. It wasn't like did a long thing. Did they do thing. the banana splits, or is that a different they, th- thing? That's where Cinema Croft, I think, started. They, did the, they designed those banana split awesome. guys, and then they went from there, I think. All right, you also said you know a lot about the movie Clue. Yes. Um, thank you. Thank you. I'm very proud of this knowledge. Um, I, 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 Clue is just an obsession. It, obviously, it was a cult following. It didn't come out. But I remember 1985, obviously. I, I don't think I saw it in the theaters, but I do remember in the newspaper they, where you could pick uh, you could look at the times for A, B, or C, the different endings. Mm-hmm. But it was like Blockbuster Video, which I probably got introduced to it because you could watch all the endings mm-hmm. on the on a VHS tape. And uh, and I don't know. I Whodunits, they got me. Uh, Madeline Kahn, they got me. <laughs> um, I mean, flames out of the side of my face. Any of that kind of stuff. Uh, the board game in general. So it, it's not a hard sell on me. I uh. just it's one of those movies where I. Uh, I, it, it's, it's corny in so many ways, but wonderful in so many ways. And who doesn't want to watch a bunch of people run around frantically as a guy has a monologue that's probably 23 <laughs> pages long explaining how this possibly worked? Yeah. That's terrific. And then finally, you said you know a lot about giving advice to others that you don't take. Yeah, I'm very proud of this. <laughs> this is a weird one, but it's true. It's like... Uh, I am not one to not love a good self-help book. I've read a lot of them. I, uh, if it's if Instagram, is there somebody who does those abundant, you know, like, you know, uh, quote of the day, I will follow that. And then I just, uh, I think we were, you know, I was just, if people come to me, they come for advice, you know, about that stuff. And I think I just steal from uh, those books. And Instagram. And make it sound like I, I know everything, but <laughs> I don't follow what, What's it. an example of some advice you've given to someone else that you yourself do not take? Well, you know, I, uh, well, it's hard. I mean, you know, any anytime you can just. I mean, the easiest one is sort of like it's not about what's happening to you; it's how you're reacting to what's happening to you. <laughs> and I don't do that. I just stress about what's happening to me. <laughs> All right. Well, to summarize, what is happening is you told us you know a lot about Sid and Marty Croft shows, the movie Clue, and giving advice to others that you don't take. Today, we're going to quiz you about the movie Clue. Ah. Okay. Our audience very happy to hear that as well. Our listeners might note that I believe it was only two episodes ago that another guest mentioned this as her topic, Rebecca Mackay, the the novelist. We didn't end up doing it then, but it's funny that it came up uh, so soon after. How many times do you think you've seen the movie? Oh, at least 10, all I right. guess, over and, all these years. And did you, someone introduce you to it, or you just found it? No, I think I, I remember in the theaters, but I didn't see it in the theaters. It was definitely just one of those walk through the aisles of, of Blockbuster way back and when. And you just happened to pick it out? Yes. yes. And then well, like, no, I knew of it. I just didn't see it in the theaters, but then, you know. Got it. And uh, which is your favorite of the three endings? 
C is the best. Some people might disagree because everyone's involved in C, right. you know, which is always a little bit fun. All right, terrific. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the topic with our three-part question. Before that, we're going to let you show off with five questions. You get uh, two hints for these five questions. By the way, Jenny, do listen closely because if he gets one wrong and maybe gives you his hint, uh, you can maybe. steal. Uh, Jenny, how much do you know about the movie Clue? I know enough. It's funny. I hadn't seen it until a couple years ago when somebody s- said to me, it makes no sense with the rest of your personality that you didn't grow up obsessed with the movie Clue. Okay. <laughs> I think because I'm like a theater kid and I was like a Rocky Horror kid and like Madeline Kahn is the greatest comedic actress of all time. Like I think it, it was for some it, for some reason I just had never watched it. I've played a lot of Clue. I love I haven't played it in a while, but I remember that being a great time. All right. Well, let's see how y'all do in this uh, in this quiz. Uh, here we go. Question number one about the movie Clue for Jim Rash. The movie acknowledges that it's based on a board game made by what company started by siblings? Oh, uh, Parker Brothers. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Took you a second? That scared, scared but you me got a it? second. I was terrified. I was going to say Hasbro. No, I, that I was, was like, first in my head. Yeah, the Hasbros. <laughs> yeah, the Hasbros. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, and then I went to Mattel, and I was like, wait, this doesn't sound like Brothers. Uh, yes, in the opening credits, it says that uh, the movie was based on the Parker Brothers game Clue. Uh, the Parker Brothers, by the way, were brothers George and Charles, and later their brother Edward. The company was bought, eventually, by Hasbro. Question number two. The movie is filled with some great one-liners. Finish this line from Mrs. White. Husbands should be like Kleenex, soft, strong, and... And disposable? Helen? That is correct. That is correct, <laughs> disposable. Oh, my God. So many things. Absorbent came to mind. <laughs> yes. It's what not woman wrong. doesn't love an absorbent husband? <laughs> it's not wrong. Question number three. In the opening credits, the main cast is listed alphabetically. Who is credited last? Oh. I was ready for the other way. Um, okay, hold up. Let, let's hear your thinking out loud. Okay. Eileen, I can, I'm just going to do it. Eileen Brennan would have been first. Tim Curry would have been second. Not in order, but there's Martin Mull. Uh, Christopher Lloyd before him, Michael McKeon, which would be before Martin Mull, uh, Leslie Ann Warren, I guess, would be there. So, uh, hold on. Uh, oh, wait, wait. Uh, wait, no, leaving would be before. <laughs> wait, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> what a glimpse into your process. <laughs> you to find one person in here who I, doesn't have to go through the whole album. I, okay, no, no, of wait. I guess Leslie Ann Warren? Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Wow. Very nice I was. I love I, the process. And for two seconds, I was, I was troubling V and W for a second. Yeah. I was... <laughs> I bet if we had My gotten... My brain shut down. I bet if we had gotten you a cardboard box, you would have done it faster. No, I would have been fine. <laughs> I would have been fine. I would have been my safe space. All right, Jim, you're three for three. Here's question number four. The movie Clue is famous for being released with three different endings named A, B, and C. Spoiler alert. But in Spoiler ending, alert. But in ending C, Colonel Mustard kills the motorist. With what weapon and in what room did he commit the crime? Wait, he went to the thing. Okay, it might have been the lead pipe or the wrench. It was either the lead pipe or the wrench. You have a hint available. Oh, can I get a hint? Helen, how about that first hint? He hit him over the head, like that, and he wasn't monkeying around. Okay, so the wrench. Uh, <laughs> Excellent hint. But Excellent here's where we get hint. to the thing, because they were in the study, but he would have been in the, but that had a bunch of books in it, where they had the main scene, so that was that the library, or the other one was the study, so it feels like the study or the library. And that one had a fireplace because that's what he walked in through the secret passage. I'm gonna, but they both have fireplaces, which makes no sense. 
studies and libraries can't both have. <laughs> but in those homes, they all had fireplaces. That's how they stayed warm, Jim. Um, <laughs> Uh, that, but there was a lot of books in the other. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say study, and and again the weapon, the wrench. Helen, that is not quite. No, correct. I'm terribly sorry, Jenny, with a chance to steal. I'm gonna say it was the other one. Which was? Oh, <laughs> well, the. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> he killed him with the wrench in the library. Why was the other room, right? Library. Mm-hmm. Helen, was it the wrench in the library? Also not correct. No, I'm terribly sorry. The wrench was correct. He killed him in the lounge. Oh. In the lounge. Was, there aren't the fireplaces table. in the lounge. And yet, that's where it happened. Uh, pretty close, but not quite. Finally, Jen, let's see if you can bounce back with this question number five. Even though she has only one line, the actor who sings the singing telegram seems to have some real musical talent, and for good reason. Who is this actor-singer, and of what popular band is she a member? I know... It, she's from the Go-Go's, and I, her last name starts with a W, and she may have been the drummer. It's something like Jules Weedling. That's not right, I know, but I got the Go-Go's. <laughs> Helen, is it Jules Weedling of the Go-Go's? No, it is not. No, not quite. Jenny with a chance to steal. Is it Go-Go Weilin? Is it Go-Go Weilin? <laughs> yeah. Nope. No, no. Jim, you were on the right track. It's Jane Weedlin. Jane Weedlin oh, okay, I got of JW, the Go-Go's. You did so. get, you were, you were pretty close. Uh, her one line was, I am your singing telegram. Yes. That, was, that was the one line. Yeah. All right, Jim, you still did pretty well in that quiz, but now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Okay. Oh. We'll wow. be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Clue's journey from concept to completion is almost as complicated as the movie's plot. It was originally to be directed by a very successful comedy director who came up with the story but struggled to find someone else to write the screenplay, even asking two of the most accomplished writers of the 20th century to give it a try. By the time the screenplay was finished by another person, that original director was busy on another project, and so he became the film's executive producer with the screenwriter directing the film. So, for up to three points, who was originally slated to direct the film, who ended up becoming its executive producer, who were one of the two Oscar and Tony-winning writers who were first approached to write the screenplay, and who happily, ultimately, wrote the screenplay and directed the movie? John Landis was originally going to direct it. Who boy. So, and the next was who was going to write one yeah, of the who, two. Yeah, who were one of the two people that tried to uh, give it a shot at the screenplay? I believe that was Stephen Sondheim. Oh, all right. And then the third answer is who actually wrote it? Yes, who actually wrote and directed it. Oh, actual director and writer was Jonathan Lynn. Jonathan Lynn. All right, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight via phone from New York City is the writer and director of Clue. It's Jonathan Lynn. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Mr. Lynn, can you hear me? I can, yes. Excellent. It's wonderful to have you join us. Uh, What are you doing in New York City? Is that your home now? Yes, where where I live. Oh, that makes sense. In addition to Clue, which we're going to talk about in depth, I need to mention you also directed Nuns on the Run, My Cousin Vinny, The Distinguished Gentleman, The Whole Nine Yards. You also created and wrote the BBC series Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. You've won BAFTA awards. You've written and directed for Broadway and written several books which have sold millions of copies. You also have a law degree... What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by here? You mean on your show? Yes. 
<laughs> I don't know. Right. <laughs> you, Perfect. You asked me, so I said yes. You did, and we very much appreciate it. It's really wonderful to, to, to speak with you. You started writing early and performing uh, early as well. Where did you make your television debut? It was on the Ed Sullivan Show in uh, 1964. I, I was sort of singing and sort of dancing. I was in New York with a review called Cambridge Circus with John Cleese, Graham Chapman, and some other people who all became comedians. Wow. And we went on the Ed Sullivan show and with the animals, and it was <laughs> soon after the Beatles had been on. There were 70 million viewers live, so it was a bit scary. But it all went well, I'm sure. Well, uh, yeah, well enough. I mean, we got through it. You got through it, all right. <laughs> How did you get into directing from being a writer and an actor at first? Well, I was uh, some friends of mine, or some people I didn't know very well, actually, had written a show that was going to be done at a regional theater. And for some reason, inexplicably to me, they phoned me up and said, would I like to direct it? And I said, yes, how did you know that I would like to direct? And they said, well, we just thought you might. So I directed that show, and then I directed some shows, some other shows in London. And then I was made artistic director of a Cambridge Theatre Company, which was like, uh, I don't know, like Long Wharf in America or you know, a big regional company. And I was directing at the National Theatre at the time. Somebody asked me to write clues. So, and I thought, well, why not? I've never been to the West Coast of America and it would be a <laughs> free ticket. <laughs> it would be curious, you know. I'm, obviously, I'm not going to do it, but it would good excuse to go there for a few days. I went there and I met John Landis. He had sort of half a story. It wasn't really a complete story because there was no reason for anything to happen. So what I had to do was actually come, come up with characters, motivations, reasons, because, you know, there aren't any characters on the board game. I mean, they're just colors. Obviously, you're going to have a bunch of people all turning up called Mr. Green and Miss Scarlet and sure. Mrs. Peacock by chance, all having all the names of colors. So that meant that they had to be given aliases by the person who invited them, and that meant the person who invited them was central to the plot. And, you know, so gradually I had to develop a sort of... It may not be clear in the finished film, but I had to develop a logical framework for the whole story. And whose idea was it to give it the three endings and then to screen them separately? That was John's idea. I wasn't sure about it, and uh, it proved to be a catastrophic idea because people didn't know which ending to go and see. So on the whole, they thought, well, I won't bother. I'll go and see another movie. <laughs> that, that didn't go well until I'd put all three of them together for the VHS wow. and then the DVD. And then, and then suddenly people thought, oh, that was a great idea, three endings. Yeah, well, it worked out for Jim Rash. Yeah, I'm so curious. Yeah. Just like, how did you, in shooting those, tackle the three endings? Did you have to sort of plan ahead? Because it seems very intricate when you started shooting. Did you guys do an order of anything, or did you just as you went, figured it out? Oh no, it was all in the script. No ad-libbing or, or anything in the movie, except Madeline Kahn's one line about the flames on the side of her face. Right, right. <laughs> a brilliant ad-lib, and after she had done that, she said, I'm going to try something on you, so we did it. And then I thought, well, we, we needn't do what I wrote, because that's funnier. And uh, we were very busy. It was a huge amount of work to be done on, in time. And I'd never directed a film before. So I directed lots of actors in lots of stage shows. And I knew how to do that. But I really, I had to learn about the camera very fast indeed. 
pretty, I would say rookie of the year there. I mean, yes. that's, 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 that's pretty, a great, pretty task, great first effort. Sure. Now, the movie didn't do great at the box office when it first came out, uh, but it's become a huge cult hit. What, what do you make of that? What, what do you think about people discovering it and, and it becoming such a beloved film now? Well, as I said, I think it's because when it came out with three with different endings in the different theaters, uh, I think the, the beauty of the three endings was that they, they all work and they build when they're seen together. Mm. And I think it was a big mistake to show them separately. And mm. it also deterred people. You know, people go to see a movie and it, what they see at the end is is what they're left with. They come mm. out thinking that worked. And if the last five minutes of a film don't work for you, then the film doesn't work for you. I think people reason, quite reasonably thought, well, if the filmmakers don't know how to end the film, why should I care? <laughs> and I think the reason it started to take off the moment the VHS was there, and then it was on television, and lots of young people saw it on TV and grew up and discovered as they grew up that they still liked it. Mm. Now, the cast is phenomenal. Uh, what was it like casting that movie? And, and I assume you got most, if not all, of your first choices, because these people are amazing. They were great. I, I didn't know who most of them were because I lived in England and they were mostly huh. famous only in America. The only, I only knew two really in advance. One was Tim Curry, who I'd been at school with, so I'd known him since I was 12. Wow. And the other was Madeleine Kahn because I'd seen her in a couple of Mel Brooks films and in The Last Picture Show, and I was just a huge fan of hers. Her part, Mrs. White, wasn't much of a part, but when I heard she was interested, I wrote more for that character. <laughs> And uh, I knew Christopher Lloyd from Taxi a bit, but the, the rest of them I didn't know. Um, so it was, it was a great experience for me discovering them all. Do you have a favorite scene from the movie? Um, I've, I've never thought about it. You know, it's a strange thing, but when you make a film, when you look at it, all you, you, all you see are the things that you would like to have done differently. I'm really glad that everybody else likes it. So many people like it. A lot of people um, like it, and a lot of people like it. it very, very strongly. I mean, very there, there's, strongly, there's a lot of yeah. a lot of love for this movie. That's really nice. That's really nice. But but for me, it's the question of um, oh, if only I'd done that differently, or if only I'd put changed that shot, or you know, so many things you see that you'd like to do again. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about before we get to the game portion I forgot to mention is uh, your work as an author. You've, you've written a book about comedy, and you've also written a novel. Uh, your latest book is called Samaritans, which is about the U.S. healthcare system. As an outsider from it is, uh, the yes. U.K., it's, it's pretty great, right? Well, the, the, the healthcare system, it's, it's uniquely comic. It's a quite extraordinary that a very rich country, there are so many people without healthcare and who can't afford insurance, who can't afford their medications. And I decided to write a satirical comic novel about that. It's about a hospital in Washington, D.C., which is beset by rising costs and poor management, like most hospitals. Sure. Uh, and they decide to hire as their new CEO the CEO of a Vegas casino because he understands about check-in and check-out. <laughs> so it's all about how he tries to turn this hospital into a profitable institution. Excellent. Well, it's gotten wonderful reviews. and I know it's available on Amazon now or wherever, wherever people get books. So we'll encourage our audience to uh, check that out. All right. Well, I, I could talk with you all night about uh, your career, but let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question we asked of Jim Rash. First, we wanted to know who was originally slated to direct the film, who ended up becoming its executive producer. Helen, what did Jim Rash say? Jim said John Landis. And Jonathan Lynn, is that correct? Yes. Yes, it is. That's a point for Jim. Very good. And why was he unavailable to direct the film? He went on to direct what? Well, he was directing another film by the time I'd finished writing it. Yeah, there you go. And I think 
I don't know. I, I, that's all I know. I think he went on to do yeah. Spies Like Us. I think, you're, I think so as well. I couldn't remember. Spies Like Us. You're spies absolutely like us. right. Yes. That's right. Spies Like Us. Very good. All right. Uh, next, we wanted to know from Jim, who were one of the two Tony and Oscar-winning writers who were first approached to write the screenplay? Helen, what did Jim Rash say? Jim said Sondheim. Jonathan? I'm told that's true. That is true. That's another yeah. point for Jim Rash. Stephen Sondheim, the other acclaimed writer who had also run Oscars and Tonys, was Tom Stoppard. Tom Stoppard was the other. Now, you were telling me, uh, Jonathan, that Tom Stoppard does not remember having attempted to write the film. No, <laughs> he doesn't remember it at all, apparently. He, but, but according to John, he, he was hired and uh, was on it on and off for about nine months. And then finally, he gave up on it and sent the check back. <laughs> All right, and then finally we asked Jim who happily ultimately wrote the screenplay and directed the movie. Helen, what did Jim Rash say? Jim said Jonathan Lynn. And Jonathan Lynn? Well, obviously that's correct. That's right. obviously <laughs> correct. That's a point. <laughs> Uh, Jim, is there anything else you'd like to ask of Jonathan Lim while we have him here? No, I, I'm just a huge fan because <laughs> I love that this is a great, a great honor to have you on the phone with us. Oh, well, it's, it's my pleasure. I would love to ask very quickly how you came to direct My Cousin Vinny. Well, I'd, I'd done Clue, and then I went back to England and made a film called Nuns on the Run, and that was distributed in the U.S. by 20th Century Fox, and that was very well received. And so it was really because they had distributed Nuns on the Run and liked it so much, they just asked me to direct My Cousin Vinny, which they were trying to set up at that time. Wow. It, it, I have to say, that, that's one I think should be taught in film schools if it's not already. That, that I think, is a perfectly directed uh, comedy mm -hmm. film. Thank you very much. I think it's, it's, that's the only film I've made where I don't look at it and think, oh, I wish I'd done that differently. Oh, okay, so there was one. That's oh, good. That's go. a good one. That's yes. good. Uh, Jonathan Lynn, it's an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. If people want to find out more about you or your work, I understand you have a website they can go to? There is, yes, it's called jonathanlynn.com. It all checks out. Thank Perfect. you again so much for joining us, Thank Mr. You Jonathan so much. Lynn. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Helen, how about a score recap as we go into the final round? At the end of that round, Jenny Jaffe has four and a half points, and Jim Rash has eight points. All right. Oh, Got your work yeah. cut out for you, but now it is time for our final round. We call Fast Facts. I'll read ten statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Jenny and okay. alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Okay. Here we begin. Jenny, Taco Bell started with just one location. True. Correct. Jim, Taco Bell was named after someone named Taco. False. Correct. Jenny, Taco Bell was named after someone named Bell. True. Correct. Yeah, Glenn Bell, also known to his friends as Taco. Uh, Jim, there's a Taco Bell in Las Vegas that serves alcohol. True. Correct. Jenny, that Taco Bell also has a wedding chapel. True. Correct. Jim, you can book a wedding package there for $99. True. Incorrect. No, oh. it costs $600. $600? $600. But, Jenny, the wedding package comes with all the chalupas you can eat. True. Incorrect. No, <laughs> it should, though. I'm uh, still getting married there. <laughs> oh, of course. Uh, Jim, the wedding package comes with a bridal bouquet made out of hot sauce packets. I hope true. Correct. Oh. <laughs> Jenny, you get to keep the hot sauce packet bouquet. True. Incorrect. No, you only... That is rude. You I only know. get to borrow it. I don't want someone else's hot sauce packet bouquet. Well, for maybe you should make your own. You should yeah, keep for six hundred dollars, you should maybe keep it. Uh, Jim, purchases of the Taco Bell wedding package are non-refundable. False. Incorrect. No, it's Vegas. You definitely want to get that money before people change their mind. Got it. And finally, Jenny, someone in this audience tonight bought the Taco Bell wedding package. 
True? I don't know. Has anyone here been married at the Taco Bell? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. We're actually not going to count that one. Let's give a nice hand to both of our guests, Jim Rash and Jenny Jaffe, as Helen tabulates the final score. Helen, are you ready to reveal the winner of today's show? I am at the end of the game. Jenny Jaffe has seven and a half points, and Jim Rash has 11 points. Uh, Very nice effort, Jenny Jaffe, but congratulations. Jim Rash, you were the facting champion. Thank you. What will you do with your championship? I will just go home and compliment myself. You know, like self-help. <laughs> That's what you consider self-help. I am going to stand here for my leg out like yeah. Angelina Jolie. <laughs> oh, I wish our audience could see that. Uh, all right, that just leaves an opportunity for all of our guests to promote whatever they would like. Jenny, when can people see you and where can they find your oh, work? Oh, probably the best thing to do is just to follow me on social media at Jenny Jaffe as we see when any of the things I'm working on are actually airing. Excellent. At Jenny Jaffe. We'll look forward to that. We're happy to have had Miss Jenny Jaffe. Yay. Thank you. Jim Rash, what about you? Well, I don't know. You can see what's interesting. I don't know. Well, Instagram is Jim Rash. That's really hard, easy to find. Well, we loved having Mr. Jim Rash, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you may be the luckiest audience in town because my hosting partner for you is Ms. Helen Hong. Yay! What's going on, HH? You can find my performance calendar at HelenHong.com and follow me at the socials at FunnyHelenHong. Because that other Helen Hong is not funny. Not funny, but you know who is? Funny Helen Hong. Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Jenny Jaffe, Jim Rash, Dr. David Kersey, Jonathan Lynn. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. <laughs> Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Voice of Experience did. He, she, or they said, great show for a drive to work, a drive home from work, or driving while looking for work. Helen Hong is the Korean friend in college I never had, having not gone to college. Aww. Thanks, Voice of Experience. I'm, Helen? I'm willing to be anyone's Korean friend from college. Yay! Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and Jake Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Stephen Cologne is our live sound engineer. Special thanks to Rebecca Mackay, Dr. Jake Owens, and Rebecca Spurlock from the Los Angeles Zoo, Ross Blotcher, Mike Avellanos, Carol Davis, Dave Bianchi, Eric Tran, and Christine Velada. I've been Helen Hong. Yay! Let's go pet pandas and watch Clue! Hey, it's Jake Heath again. Here's a little bit of what you're going to hear on the next episode of Go Fact Yourself. She is a comedian and writer who hosts the live game show podcast, Let's Go Atsuko, a woke Japanese game show. It's Atsuko Okatsuka! Atsuko Okatsuka! Yeah, it was the 7.1 magnitude earthquake, right? I was going up on stage at the Ice House Comedy Club. Everyone's screaming, 200 people. I was getting cocky. I was like, yeah, it's me, woo! And uh, I realized it was screams of terror. <laughs> he is an award-winning columnist and author whose new book, In Defense of Elitism, Why I'm Better Than You and You're Better Than Someone Who Didn't Buy This Book, is available now. It's Joel Stein! Joel Stein! All right, Joel. 
I was on a trivia show called Idiot Savants. Yes, that was hosted by a previous guest of ours, Greg Fitzsimmons. Oh, oh, so at some point, there was like a question which had three possible answers, and there were three of us competing, and two of the possible answers had already been chosen, so all I had to do was pick the remaining one, mm -hmm. but I got nervous and said one of the ones that had been said before, and Greg stopped the game, walked over, and put his arm around me and said, man, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's Go Fact Yourself, here at Maximum Fun, every first and third Friday of the month. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.